the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I don't know about you, but it usually takes me about 40 minutes to an hour to find myself fully awake after I've woken up in the morning. There's that morning grogginess, isn't there? You've got to kind of shake the cobwebs out of your brain a bit. Well, that is where we find Samson as we continue our look at Arise, Move, and Go here on Way of Grace. And again, welcome to today's Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan from Grace Bible Church in Hayward. We're back in Judges 16 today. Samson sleeps in. So look at Samson's sleeping habits and some of the lessons that we can learn. The sleep of companionship, compromise, confusion, and unable to see your way or direct your own steps. It's blind to slavery of the flesh. These are just a few lessons we're learning as we catch up with Pastor Jessica Stan for today's broadcast of Way of Grace. When you and I are awake, the measure of our awakeness depends upon our responsibilities. And the peripheral vision that we have is designed for us to be able to look at the landscape of all the responsibilities that are in front of us. Am I making some sense? And then to be alert enough to be able to address the various responsibilities in the course of a day so that when your energy wanes, you feel pretty good about what you have accomplished because you have responsibilities when you're awake. You're not just awake to play games and dilly dally in life. God gives us all a bunch of responsibilities. So when we cover 60 or 70 percent of our responsibilities in a given day and are not negligent and and certainly hopefully not criminal or or, or immoral or unethical, we can expect a good night's sleep if there's nothing physically wrong with us. Do you agree with that? And what I'm talking about is how God allows you during the uh, waking hours to have a broad periphery of awareness and that awareness narrows at night because God is giving you reprieve from those responsibilities. Say amen if you got it. He's giving you reprieve. Naturally, he's giving you reprieve. Because, see, you already know God will watch over you in the night season. He has to. The Lord never slumbers nor sleeps. He will watch over Israel. He encamps his people about as the angels of, of the Lord will encamp us about. So you and I should know how to go to sleep, giving our souls and our family to God. And then shut our eyes and hope that God will allow us to go into a nice, deep sleep mode so when we get up, we can do life again. Am I making some sense? And what David is saying is sleep is far, I mean, uh, rest is far from him and he's toiling and he doesn't want to go into that dark, ugly kind of sleep from which he will never wake up again. Look at the text. Look at it. He says, lighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Do you see it? Light my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. This is what I call the deep 
dubious, deep, dubious sleep a false companionship that is taking its place in the life of Samson. Now, remember, Samson goes to sleep and his life is jacked up from that point on, is it not? I want to give you another verse to look at because God talks about how this particular kind of sleep is designed to put you to death. Jeremiah 51, verse 37 through 40, God is going to be talking about his enemies and what he plans for them. And I just want you to capture it. Because what I want us to do when we leave this whole sleep thing is understand what it means to be awake. Because we will see our brother attempt to wake up, won't we? He will only attempt to wake up. He will only attempt to wake up. And I want you to understand that. Here's what God said about Babylon. As you guys have been being taught over the last couple of weeks, the king of Babylon thought he was God. And so God says, okay, let me help you with that. Right? And here's what God says about Babylon. He said, now Babylon shall become a heap a dwelling place for dragons, that is for desert snakes and iguanas, et cetera, et cetera. An astonishment and a hissing without inhabitants. In other words, Babylon, which was a glorious nation, is going to be empty. Now, that's what God said. He's going to do it. But now he's going to show you how. Look at the next verse. This is what he says. They shall roar together like lions. What is that, Pastor? That is the celebratory pomp of their boast of being a great nation. Their emblem, their uh, banner was that of a lion. You guys know that, right? The lion, the Medo-Persian being the bear, and the leopard being the Grecian kingdom, and then the Roman Empire having its own entity. You guys remember that. Just like we have the bear on the state of California, that was the ensign over the Babylonians. They were a lion. And they shall yell like, yell as lions wept. What that means is they'll be triumphing in their authority and dominion over their foes. And you hear lions yelp when they get their prey. And they let everybody in the territory know we are the pride that runs this area. Am I helping you? Now listen to what God says right in the midst of their yelping. In their heat, I will make their feast. In the midst of their being excited about how they are the greatest nation in the world and subduing everybody, I'm going to help them in the feast that they're going to eat. This is God working mysteriously to put them in a position where while they are feasting, God's judgment is going to come upon them. Are y'all keeping up with me? Let me keep teaching. Don't go to sleep. Listen, and I will make them what? Drunk that they may rejoice. Some parties are dangerous to go to. Some parties are dangerous to go to. Ask Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belteshazzar. He's sitting up partying, drinking out of the Lord's utensils, and God gave him a big screen picture, and it was a finger moving on the screen, right? Meaning, mini tekel ufarsin, right? Your days are numbered, and your life is over. And that night, the king was destroyed in the midst of his feast. Y'all keeping up with me? So here's what's going on. And and I get the warning. I hope you do. You got to be careful about where you party. All right, I'm done. We can sing the doxology and get out of here. You got to be careful about where you party. Because parties often have unforeseen tragedy in them. Now, we often are looking for the tragedy that's obvious and vocal. But there's a lot of silent tragedy in these wicked parties. The silent tragedy of people getting in the situations which they wish they had never gotten into. The silent tragedy of the party compromising people's character and compromising their conduct and reputation of which they wish they had never gone to that party that night. And the silent 
tragedy of getting addicted to the party. That's a big one, too. That's a big one, too. And so here's what God says, that they may rejoice and sleep. A what kind of sleep? A perpetual sleep and not wake, saith the Lord. That's the phraseology. Go back now to our text. Stay with me. Go back to our text. Judges chapter uh, 16, verse 19. Go back to our text. Notice what it says. And she made him what? She made him enter into a deep sleep. That's the phrase that's used in Genesis 2 when God put Adam into a deep sleep, took a rib from him and built a woman. Now, you know that brother was asleep, right? This is what we call anesthesia sleep, anesthetic sleep, the kind of sleep that puts you on the brink of dead when you don't feel any pain. Some of us know about that, don't we? It's so profound anesthetic sleep is that you have no memory. And when you come out, it could be weeks and months, and it just feels like a second. What a deep sleep for a woman to put a man into. But we know the Bible is really speaking to us about spiritual things, aren't they? So we're going deeper than the mere historical context. What we're understanding are principles. Delila is a picture of the world. And the world will put you to sleep. Because all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, which is what our boy is victim to right now. That's why when he wakes up, we're going to be looking at some remarkable things as he attempts to wake up. So under our first point and sub point, I want you to get this. The sleep of companionship is this need-want that we have when we want companionship. This is called the need-want of trust. Ideally, like I stated, you and I want to have a companion that we can lay down together with and we can trust each other. Agreed? It's called the need-want factor. I talk to the younger people all about this all the time. You got to know the difference between your wants and your needs. And it's very apparent that what Samson wanted became a need. But it shouldn't have never been a need because he chose the wrong person to need. Am I making some sense? But I, but I get it. Do you get it? I totally get it. It's really hard to maintain the need-want distinction when it comes to love. And, and, and one of the things most of you keeping up with me in, in this church will understand in a moment is that most of the trials and challenges in the Bible is around whether or not God is enough for his people. If you keep up with me, you're going to discover the through line running through many of the tragedies of the people of God is they act like God's not enough. That's right. It's a trial for you and me, too. And when God is not enough, then we turn to other things and make them God. We turn wants into what? Needs. See, I need God. Like I need air, like I need food, like I need a job, like I need rest. I need God with every fiber of my being. But there are very few other things that I absolutely need. They come under the category of want needs. Does that make some sense? And and until we get that right, we will always be in danger of idolatrizing other things as wants. So point A, then, we are dealing with the sleep of companionship. This is just absolutely phenomenal. Sub point B, the sleep of what? Compromise. 
Now, I want you to see it because it's in our text. She made him sleep upon her knees. She called for a man and he caused and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. Do you see that? That brother was in a deep sleep. Was he in a deep sleep? You guys get the brief for now because we're getting ready to go back into the rabbit hole. He was in a deep sleep. Now, we know his hair was the point of symbolic consecration, don't we? So the man had compromised somewhere before he laid his head on her lap, didn't he? He gave her too much information, too much information for him to go to sleep in her lap and not have the affirmation that she loved him. Because listen, when agape is operating, agape never hurts the object of his love. Love works no ill to its neighbor. You'll not be talking about, I love you, but I'm hurting you. No, you don't love me with God's love. There's a lot of hurt love that goes on in humanity. Would you agree? It's not agape. Agape is a principled love that says we may have a thousand problems, but I'm not going to be the one that intentionally hurts you. So now she, she, because here's the thing. Here's the other thing. I know y'all hearing me now. Here's the other thing. When you actually operate out of agape, you open yourself up to the vulnerability of people hurting you because that's the nature of love. Love allows you to get close to somebody, then operate out of all of the other stuff, eros, phileo, feelings, emotions, and need. So I've already taught you how to categorize that, right? Agape, right? Phileo, then eros. Your eros is that mutual need that happens between a man and a woman. And that man now is open to needing her. He's open to needing her. She's open to needing him. But if they mess their relationship up in the agape, then they're going to turn each other into little gods and they're going to end up going to war with each other. Say amen if I'm making some sense. Because we are miscuing the idea of agape over against eros. And where eros is the dominating quality, all we're doing is using each other. And you will come to discover that a human being does not have enough eros in their tank to meet your need. Now, all of a sudden, you you got buyer's remorse because you bought that lemon. I'm talking males and females. But really what it is, is that you bought that lemon ignorant of where your true source comes from at the vertical level. If you keep your true source right, you can work with that limit. Just, just buy the limit, roll with the limit, and save your money. Save your money, and then later on, save your money. I know that I'm getting the metaphors mixed up, but I'm trying to help you here. Don't get rid of your limit. Work on your vertical relationship with God, and God will teach you how to be godly with contentment, because that's great game. Am I making some sense? Because you can buy all the cars in the world and never have the fulfillment that agape gives you. And everybody going to be looking at you thinking that you got it all like that, but you know secretly in your heart, you are still struggling with emptiness. And this is what our brother Solomon uh, uh, Samson is dealing with. She made him sleep on her knees. She called for a man and he, he he, he cut or shaved the seven locks off of his head. And then she began to beat this brother down. Now, again, don't get stuck on the physical. Begin to move into the relational. Move into the relational. This is not a fairy tale. This is a true story. We all know this. In relationships, they can start off very much with a beautiful sort of storybook beginning and turn into something tragic. 
And sometimes it can be the man doing it and sometimes it can be the woman. And it all depends upon their thuggish skill sets and positions and positions they put put themselves in to start the internal uh, predatory victim conflict battle among themselves as a couple dealing with it all the time, dealing with it all the time. And what Samson now is dealing with is a woman with whom he gave his absolute trust. He's so tired. He's so tired. He's so he put in a lot of labor. And he just said, I, 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 OK, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I'm going to give it to you. It starts in verse 16 through 19. I'm going to give it to you because she wore him down. If you love me, you'll do this. If you love me, you'll do that. If you love me, you'll do this. And no, you know, we need both Delila and Samson in counseling. We know that, right? Because she's she's utterly jacked up, isn't she? But that's why I told you, good morning, Delilah. Because you and I are jacked up just like Delilah. Let me keep going. I got about 45 minutes. The sleep of compromise is that when you are wrapped up in this world system and the world system is reciprocating with you, people are things. Over time, what you will begin to do is what I taught you last week particularly if you are not absolutely committed to who you say you are in Jesus, you will export your identity to that very thing that you are making your need. And it will have control over your personality, over your attributes, over your characteristics, over your time, over your choice making. And the next thing you know, you are a slave of that entity to whom you've given your love. Am I making some sense? I'm going to say it again because I want you to get it. Exporting your identity When you are not clear and grounded in yourself holistically so that whatever relationship you get into, personal or impersonal, you never let it define who you are. But when you are weak and vulnerable, you will export your identity and you will allow it to shape you into its own image. This is why you see people going from one kind of attitude to another, one kind of talk to another. They take on all kind of personality traits, trying to find somebody to affirm them. Am I making some sense? And this is why we pray dearly for our little kids. And we definitely pray for our teenagers. Because they are the most vulnerable to fall prey to this BS that the world loves you. Its job is to transform you into its image. And it will not stop and it will meet you at every institution on the planet until it has stripped you of your identity and recovered you in its own. This is why your kids go to college one way and come out another. And this is Delilah. And Samson, I want you to see this is remarkable. The sleep of compromise. This is why Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, concerning that crazy church called the Corinthian church. He says, evil communication corrupts good manners. Y'all listening to me? Evil communication corrupts good manners. You know what the inspired apostle tells me? He says, don't be deceived. And yet people are daily deceived getting into relationships with individuals and groups that are gradually, incrementally changing them. And you know they're changing them because they give themselves to it. It becomes a new religion. Religio means to be committed to. Consistently committed to a thing to where it changes you. 
And then now you're so identified with that thing that everybody knows you're part of that groupie. Now, that makes sense to me with people in the world who don't know God. But when you know God in Christ, that don't make no sense to me. That you would put on all of these kind of phenotypes. When what you and I have been given in Christ is an absolute pristine identity system. By which if we were to walk in Christ, having put on the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be everything that God wants us to be in this world, including happy. Am I making some sense? But because we, again, that's going back to that question that we're going to be drilling down into, is God enough? Because when God is not enough, you will export your identity. And you will take on other identities and other groups. And you will act out. And you don't realize that that will lead to a kind of slavery and addiction. And you will tell yourself you're free, but you're not. And we know that because Samson was never free again. Did y'all hear me? Never free again. Never free again. Samson went to sleep in the arms of his lover and he woke up a different man. Watch it. Watch what the text says. Going back to our verse. Notice what it says in verse 19. And she made him sleep upon her knees and she called for a man and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. That's a radical external change, isn't it? Look, hold on, hold on, hold on. See, look, I got time. Look, saints, if, you, if you've been known all your life to be rolling with dread, you know, dreadlocks, and we all cool with it because that is a marker of your character and you're able to justify those dreads, dreadlocks, and then you also have a personality type where that works. We love you for that. The day we see you with a cavatus, a bald head, we know something got to you. Now you got to explain yourself to us. Now you got to because listen, I'm trying to teach you spiritual things. There was a radical change. It wasn't subtle. That was not subtle. That was not subtle. Mom and daddy, y'all know what I'm talking about. These kids can't go go to school one way and come home a different way without y'all getting down. Right? Don't you come home dressed like that. When I didn't told you it don't go like that in my house. Am I making some sense? This is really important for you to get because grownups are not as grown as we pretend we are. We play the same games. We love playing games, dressing up like this and dressing up like that and, and fantasizing being this and fantasizing being that. And it's all an indication that we're not clear on who we are. First of all, this brother's bald-headed now. We'll get into that in a moment. But she wasn't done after she cut his hair off. She went to tormenting him. I'm not going to be long because the clock always is, you know, it hates me. (laughs) You read your Bible and it seems easy and obvious. It's not. You can't tell me that there's something, there's not something profound about him innocently laying his lap and his lover's Uh, his head in his lover's lap and then waking up and not only has she shaved off all his head, but she'd been beating on him for who knows how long. Did y'all hear what I just stated? That's what the word afflicted means. The word afflicted doesn't mean, you know, 
It doesn't mean the crazy stuff that crazy people do in sexual liaisons. That's weird. That's not this. It's the same term that's used concerning uh, slave masters who whip their servants. It's the term that's used of the Egyptians when they afflicted the children of Israel. Do y'all hear me? Physically afflicting them. In other words, she beaten this brother down. Well, you are listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. Closing out our time together today, we invite you to reach out to us. Let us know how the program encourages you in your walk with Christ. Questions, comments, prayer requests are always welcome. You can either write to us, give us a call, or stop by our website and drop us an email. Now, the best place to go, of course, is the website. Not only will you be able to write to us via email, you'll be able to get more information about who we are, what we believe, worship times, how to get here. Grace-Bible.com is our website. Again, that's Grace-Bible.com. If you wish to give us a call, the number is 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, our address is 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street. Here in Hayward, the zip code 94541. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. One final note as we close out our time today, this program is listener supported. If you wish to partner with us, we would be more than grateful. This broadcast airs throughout the Bay Area as well as online, impacting thousands for the sake of Christ. And that is our hope and our goal. If you'd like to partner with us along those lines, feel free to write or give us a call. No gift is too large, no gift too small, whether a one-time gift or a monthly support. You're more than welcome to reach out. We would love to partner with you as we minister the gospel of Jesus to the Bay Area and the World Wide Web. Thank you for spending time with us today. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.